0: Hello and welcome to episode 6 of Track, a podcast for runners. At Track, our aim is to shine a light on the UK running club scene. This podcast is dedicated to and centred upon the committed club runner, the committed amateur. Once again, I'm joined by Robbie Campbell. How are things, Robbie? Very good. How are you, Ben? Very well, thank you. And we also welcome back Kat Hutchinson, who joined us on episode 3. How are you, Kat?
1: Yeah, I'm good, thanks.
0: Good. Well, it's great to have you both here and um, we've got quite a lot to get through this week. So hopefully we've got a few discussion points. What we're going to do on this episode is we'll do our usual routine of catching up about our own training. We'll run through the latest results and news. And we've got an exciting interview with the UK V40 marathon record holder, Andrew Davis, which Robbie had a chat with him last week. And it's a really good interview to, to look forward to at the end of the episode. So guys, as always, we start off with a bit of a recap of our own running. How have your running weeks been?
1: Yeah I've been off with a bit of injury so just coming back this last week my best run probably was I did a eight and a half mile run up to the top of Breeden and back down with some of the Worcester AC boys that was good probably really not sensible with my injury but (laughs) but really good fun.
2: To talk us through your injury Kat what have you done?
1: either a hamstring injury or piriformis something like that it's been an ongoing hamstring one I think I talked about it on episode three the hamstring issue and now yeah a bit of piriformis trouble so I took a week off after talking to Ben and he gave some very sensible advice well he he, he said what are you actually training for and I was like yeah nothing <laughs> so maybe it's the time to actually sort it out
2: is it stopping you running or is it just kind of making it
3: difficult yeah. to run
1: It's just because I know there's pain there. So I'm worried that I should rest and let it heal. It is getting better. So things are improving. And I genuinely think I've never understood that term of coming back from injury stronger. I've always thought that's a load of rubbish because you're not running, you're going to be weaker. And (laughs) it's just time off. But actually, everything I'm doing to try and correct these injuries is actually making me stronger. So hopefully sorting out some weak areas to sort these injuries is actually gonna I am gonna come back stronger but yeah I ran again today I took Sunday off thought thought my l- running life was over Saturday so it took Sunday off and then actually I was fine to run again today I know
2: we've talked about it but I've, I've kind of bat- battled a bit of piriformis over the years and and still kind of battle it I mean everything I have been told by chiropractors and uh, physiotherapists is that actually running on it doesn't make it worse you've just got to be careful about the type of running you do on it and make sure that you do the right stretching and whatnot so
1: yeah and I think I feel like after taking that week and a day off and nothing improved that actually it's more about building the strength and doing the right stretches than actually stopping the running but I did I came back like an idiot this week I actually did some really lots of fast running which is just exactly what you shouldn't be doing yeah so i i need to not do that
2: how did it feel running up breeding hill uh
1: yeah it actually was fine it it i thought that was going to be horrendous actually nothing hurt and nothing seemed to hurt as a result of doing that
2: nicely done my uh... Not had a bad week all in all I'd say. So a bit better than the week before when it was uh, when it when it was kind of hot temperatures and I don't really react well to the heat. Like like you not I'm struggling with the piriformis a little bit, but um only over over on am kind of long runs really. So managed to get a couple of good sessions in, but anything over kind of six to seventy minutes I'm struggling a little bit. So
1: when you posted the one you said that you had done mainly soft. But I don't know if there was a map of it, and I was just imagining you going around, you did like, it was a Sunday long run or something, I was just imagining you lapping pitchcroft.
2: Like- yeah, well, well that was my plan actually, I was going to do 20 laps of pitchcroft <laughs> on the grass, and then um, changed, my, changed my mind, went off-road, and did kind of the trail, was down by the river, and uh, around some fields, and felt absolutely fine. And yeah. then um, and then the minute literally the minute I got onto kind of concrete by the river, it just it just started hurting straight away. So yeah. and then I uh, and then I'm gonna blame the friend of the show, Stefan, who 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 saw me down by the race course and I was just about hanging in there to kind of get home and then he kinda of shouted across the race course, like, Hey Robbie <laughs> <laughs> And like, and called me over for a chat and then the minute I stopped it was it was bit disastrous (laughs) after that, but yeah, apart from that, all okay.
0: Bobby, anything in terms of races that you think you might try and jump into?
2: So yeah, so signed up for a 5k in September. Um, I think a few of the Worcester chaps are doing it. So the Hollivington 5k, Um, it'll be my first taste of um, post-COVID racing. I think we're going to go off in kind of groups of six and not allowed to hang around and no presentation, no frills, turn up and run. Um, and then I think I'm going to, well, I know I'm going to find a, a 10K at the start of November and kind of build towards that really. It's looking looking like uh, one round Draycott Water in Leicestershire, I believe. I did, I'd quite like to do one like round the city, but I don't really think that's going to happen to be honest. So it's going to be out in the rural sticks, I think. How are you, Ben? You doing the uh, ramping at the marathon training?
0: Yeah, fine, thank you. Um, yeah, another week ticked off without getting injured, which is always the first tick in the box. <laughs> Um, Yeah, had a a bit of a taster back to racing this week as well, doing the um, Milton Keynes 5k, which I know we're going to talk about in a second. So it was nice to get back racing this week, which meant the mileage was a little bit down, um, but nothing nothing too bad. And just ticking along really, had a nice, tough, challenging long run on the Sunday, the T-Marathon Road group out towards Bromsgrove, which was really good. But We did 23 hilly miles. Um, with some of the guys we have mentioned before on the podcast because of their, their good race results. So um, people like Carl Wellborn, Adam Peacock, Adam Stokes, um all sort of clipping along really nicely on that Sunday run. So it's going well. It's about six weeks now to Wrexham, just under. So it's sort of, sort of the business end of the training. Touch wood, the injuries stay away and the mileage remains high for another few weeks. A couple of marathon-specific sessions coming up. And then it will be about getting to the race unscathed and and ready to go
2: Are you going to jump in with the team marathon road for the next few weeks and see where it takes you?
0: Hopefully yeah that's the plan Um, nice bunch there and they they said I can sort of clip into the other Sunday runs they got so we've got another 22 miles this Sunday coming up and those lads tend to get moving Um, so yeah Yeah. good to sort of in the lead up to Wrexham to sort of have a real focus on the long run um, which I think can only be positive and to run with people who are better than
2: you as well Um, hopefully brings you along a bit
0: we mentioned Milton Keynes didn't we
2: Robbie
0: Um, did you want to sort of run us through what happened there
2: so on Friday night which is Friday the 21st we saw the MK 5000 metre race which usually is uh, on the track in Milton Keynes um, with the aim to get a lot of fast people together the it's easier to kind of regulate on the road they utilized a park next to the track I believe um and again kind of stuck to the same format in terms of sending people off in groups of 10 um all the way you know all the way down through kind of six or seven races per gender always going to be quick but not quite as quick as maybe the podium 5k a couple of weeks before and again ben you can kind of fill us in on this in a minute but it did look really tough and kind of windy conditions three fastest men omar ahmed um from Birchfield, who's Fresh off a massive P b at podium ran fourteen o six, followed by Dan Jarvis of Bedford, who ran fourteen fourteen and Henry McLuckie, um of Shaftesbury fourteen nineteen There was great coverage of the of the uh, of the race as well being filmed for running live and so you got a chance to kind of see it live and omar i mean he led the race out hard a considerable gap on the rest of in the first K as he went through in two thirty five he was never going to be core, but he certainly didn't look comfortable in the last couple of K. Um, I don't know whether that was kind of into the wind, but there was a, a clear kind of difference in his style and in his, his how he was kind of holding it together. A lot of shoulder glancing, and uh, which yeah. got more and more as the race went on.
1: Yeah, that was um, really noticeable at the
2: end. Yeah. Did, did you watch it, Kat?
1: Yeah, yeah, I watched it. It was really good. It was great. The way it was filmed from the front would have been even better if they had... T- if there'd actually been anybody racing, but unfortunately both races were led out from the front. You could see through parts of it, I don't know, where they crossed the girls' race, crossed a bridge, and you could see the wind just almost take them as they crossed a more exposed part.
2: So, yeah, so I mean, coming on to the women, um, another really good performance from Bronwyn Owen of Leeds, did 15.55, again, just kind of short of her PB. Um, Eleanor Bolton of Ribble, 16.06, and Claire Duck, Um, ensured it was a bit of a northern takeover really who runs for Leeds and she ran in 16.09 like you say the coverage of the bicycle in front of the front runner was always probably intended to show a really close race but what we got was just actually really good coverage of effectively time trialing from two really informed strong runners at the moment I mean Bronwyn Owen just looked almost on a different scale to Omar obviously but kind of more controlled through the whole race and i thought she just retained that strength from start to finish it's quite impressive really
1: they mentioned on the coverage that she was going well for the first two or three kilometers and they mentioned that she had the tougher part of the course to come what how did you find that ben what happens after the two or three k is it the wind or is there hills or
0: Yeah, I think it was generally just the wind. I mean, the the course was was sold as flat and fast, and it certainly was. It was all sort of towpath or sort of cycle path around a lake and also through the park somewhat. Um, So the the sort of road condition itself was good. Um, There were a few bits where you sort of had a few sort of twists and turns, which perhaps could have maybe made it a little bit slower than a really, really super fast race. Um, but yeah, the, the the main factor was just the wind in the second half of the race. It really yeah. just felt like you were running in, you know, the feeling when you're just running into a brick wall of wind. Um, so I think a, quite a few people had sort of a, a tough second half of the race.
1: Yeah.
0: Um,
2: so, you, so you run, you run 15:45, Ben. Yeah, that's right.
0: And um, so I think I might have said it a few weeks before I was hoping for something a little closer to 15:30, but I think given the conditions and first race back, we sort of. George and I travelled um, down together and, and George ran sort of 15 dead um, yeah. so, and he was hoping for a bit quicker as well. But I think by, by our, the end of our journey home, we'd sort of made our peace with the fact that actually a PB on the, that sort of day isn't isn't to be scoffed at. So it was a good outing. It's, it's a good, good to get that race feeling again before Wrexham because, you know, starting on a, standing on a start line, it's those nerves and, and just the whole... The whole thing, it was good to get back to that. I think people tended to go off quite fast because the the start was a little bit downhill and people were racing a long time. So um, it was a really good event, really well organized, felt safe, didn't feel like there were any issues with it whatsoever. As you said, waves of 10, um, which is quite nice. And so it did feel like a race, even though it was waves, because you knew that everyone in your wave was of a similar time. And I didn't see any sort of waves that were completely blown apart in terms of people, uh, really different times. So uh, really well organised racing again.
2: Talk us through how did the organisation kind of take place? Did you have to wait and hold an area and then kind of get ushered to the start line?
0: Yeah, so you had to go and pick up your number um, and they asked you not to pick up your number um, before 20 minutes before your race. And then there was a little bit of a holding pen just by the start line where you would welcomed into a few minutes before the, the race start. Waves every five minutes. And then the finish was obviously at a different location to the start. And they sort of encourage you to not hang around too much.
2: When you look at the times across, particularly kind of the first just kind of wave of runners, they all seem to be about 15, 20 seconds off perhaps their PB or what they're aiming for to run.
0: Yeah, it does seem that way. Um, that being said, I did have a look at the results earlier today. So about 30 men under 15 minutes, so still a, a really good sort of standard of racing. And I think we've mentioned it before, just at this sort of time when there's not many races. If you put a good event on, I think people will travel and and there was a really good standard of runner out there.
2: I think what I liked, what I really liked about the coverage, not to keep harping on about it, was just the chance to see, uh, you know, the the kind of in depth. Kind of feelings of that front runner. So Omar, for example, you realise how. I mean, it sounds like you know such an obvious thing to say, but you realise how hard he is kind of running. It's not it's not kind of relaxed five k running. He is. It's kind of you know it's it, it's it's leaving everything on the line and quite an insight really. I thought you know rather than the kind of side angle or kind of seeing him come round every now and again, it's. Uh,
1: I I probably po- I think the podium was better just because. Just because you got to see every kilometre, you got to see everyone. So, it, but I mean, it was, it would be nice to have both.
2: In, Interesting, they're both from the, that running live. Well, uh,
0: speaking of podium, um, at podium we saw sort of Alex G and, and Mark Scott race. Um, they were racing again against each other, Robbie, at the Bromley Twilight Invitational on the same day as Milton Keynes.
2: Yeah, so it's a sport for choice, really, on that Friday night. So, um, so again, this is something that was streamed live meet that was put together by Mark Hookway. He's a bit of a hero of mine. I know I mentioned him in episode one. So Mark Hookway is the man responsible for basically putting together Tunbridge AC's kind of depth of athlete really from kind of the, the the underage groups to the seniors. There's actually a great interview on a podcast called Steadfast Runners with Mark Hookway where he talks about not only to about the his kind of setting up Tunbridges side of running but also specifically the first edition of this race so this was the second annual edition i suppose you'd call it he was saying you know how much kind of work goes into it and it was a real insight into kind of what goes into these events obviously we can log in on a friday night and just sit there and relax and enjoy this kind of level of running and and for this one i mean he completely took it up a notch in terms of attracting big names and um, you know, right across the board. So, so if you run through some of the results, um, yeah, we got the uh, we got the Mark Scott Alex Yee Mark II battle um, in the 3000 metres a race. So Mark Scott um, came out on top again in 7:43.48. He basically came out on top, out kicking hometown runner James West. So this is someone that actually Mark Hookway has got a lot of association with his James West. So he must have been kind of feeling massive pride. James West taking it out. Um, it was a really close race between the finishing five, actually, with just two seconds splitting first and fourth. Um, and then Phil Seesman of Leeds kind of fo- only falling off in the last 400. So Mark Scott first. James West came in the second at 7.43.79. Um, Johnny Davies of the Birmingham Track Club um, and Redden 7.45. And then Alex Yee um, in fourth, 7.45.81. Women's 3000 metre A race was Complete stacked field again. We saw we saw Amelia Quirk from Brackley win it in 8:54, smashing a p- previous PB of 9:11. And then a, a name that we are getting familiar with on the podcast, Verity Ockenden of Swansea, came in second again for PB 8:56.72. And then Nicole Taylor of Tunbridge in 9:12.18 came in third. What did strike me about this compared to the Milton Keynes race is the amount of PBs on a, on what was clearly probably similar. Weather conditions. Um, and they kept it kind of alluding to it on the stream as well about how difficult the conditions were and how windy it was. But, um, you know, they really managed to kind of hold it together. Um, so then we move on to the 1500 A race for the men. So, um, again, I mean, such kind of depth in the field, really. So, Adam Clark of Aldershot, Farnham and District came in at 341.57 ahead of Tom Dodd of Birchfield at 344. Um, Ian Crow ride to Brighton Hove, 3.44.69. Um, and then an honorary mention to Josh Carr, who's ex Worcester, um, who's now running for Thames Hare and Hounds, who came in at 3.50 at 20, which is a couple of seconds outside his PB. Um, in the women's 1500 metre A race, Jess Judd got, um, got the win in 4.10.03. She was running for Blackburn and Loughborough. Beth Kidger came in second, Brighton and Phoenix, four fifteen twenty two, And then Sabrina Cena of Cambridge and Birmingham University came in 4 71 Suggested, followed up as second place to the podium, 5K, with a comfortable victory. Just leading from start to finish, really, never in doubt. The final, the 800 events. So uh, Josh Lay, whose name just keeps coming up, up and up over the last few weeks. So he ran one and um, so So another, another PB for Josh. And then Alex Botchall came in second at 146.82 from the City of York, and Yusuf Bizimana came in at 148.18 um, from Victoria Park in Tower Hamlets. Would you say about Josh Lay? Actually, he started his own YouTube channel in the uh, in the kind of style of some of the American channels that you're seeing and then the Australian channels, um, and he's starting to put something together with some really good footage of himself on the track to some pretty cool music, so worth a look. Um, probably see George on one of those races, on one of those uh, videos at some point, maybe if we're lucky.
0: Yeah, and, and again, um, the name that we keep mentioning every week, don't we? Seems to be winning races, setting PBs. So he's the only one to look out for, and one that Joe Wilkinson, our last interviewee, sort of highlighted as a a name for the future to keep an eye on.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then finally, in the women's A race. Uh, for the 800, this was taken by uh, Kahisa Malanga in 201.91, 90, again, PB. Um, and she just a uh, second ahead of Izzy Boffy of Enfield and Katie Snowden in third. Um, and then a special mention to someone else that we keep mentioning, Birchfield's Georgie Hartigan. And she finished on two minutes and two seconds, point ninety nine. So she just dipped under that 203. Um, she finished fifth, but again, it's just another another kind of chip off that time that she's kind of been doing over the last few weeks. Um, so well done, Georgie.
3: Yeah,
0: absolutely. And and I think another thing that sort of struck us in the lead up to this episode was in the first few weeks, we were scratching around for race results. And, and this week we're sort of having to you know suggest that the highlight races that have gone ahead because we've had meets in Dortmund with UK runners. We had Jenny Nesbitt running in Northern Ireland. We've had uh, a Blackpool 10K race where there was more success for the team Marathon Road guys, Adam Peacock and Carl Wellborn. And we've also had a a really good meet, a 3000 meet at Belgrave Harriers um, on the 12th of August. So on the plus side, I think things seem to be looking up for races and we should hopefully have a, a nice set of results to talk through every week. Well, speaking of racing, uh, that was probably most of the UK stuff that we've covered. The two, I suppose, major international events that we have seen in the last couple of weeks are the two uh, returns of the Diamond League. So, The Monaco Diamond League was the first one we saw on the 15th of August and just a jam-packed meet with loads of really good performances, stacked field, world records and everything in between. And also, most recently, the weekend just gone, uh, the Stockholm Diamond League meet on the 23rd of August. Some of the standout races, so the men's 800 metres at Monaco, again, uh, a really stacked field. We had Donovan, Donovan Brazier continue his really good form and run a world lead of 143.15. Also in that race was uh, UK's Kyle Langford, who, who ran 144.83. A really good field in the men's 1500 as well with, which Timothy Chariot took out. I think he ran a first lap of 52 seconds and managed to hang on in front of Jacob Ingebrigtsen. The winning time was 3.28.45, Ingebrigtsen ran 3.28.68. And I think perhaps you'll mention him in a minute, Robbie. We saw Jake Whiteman run an amazing 3.29.47 um, to go second on the all-time British list uh, for 1500 metres in the, in the men's side of things. One of my highlights, we'll perhaps touch upon it in a second, but was the men's 5,000 metres in Monaco, where we saw Joshua Ceptegei run a new world record for the 5,000 metres on the track of 12.35.36. And just an amazing performance, clipping off the the laps 60, 61 seconds like a metronome, um, and took what what used to be Kenanisa Bekele's world record um, of 37, 35 down. One of the most exciting races or, or performances we've seen in a while. Another race at Monaco to mention was the women's 1,000 meters, and we saw a really good performance from Laura Muir, Clara McGeen from Ireland, and Gemma Rieke. Uh, it was won by Faith kip And in terms of the Stockholm races, women's 5,000 meters, we saw a really good performance in Monaco from Laura Whiteman. We ran 14.35.44 to come into third place um, behind Helena Beery and uh, Lettsendet Gede. So some really good performances across the board, but also from some GB runners as well. The Stockholm Diamond League um, was also good. We saw Donovan Brazier again win the 800 metres. But perhaps the story from that race for the UK-based fans is the the inclusion of Max Bergen um, in that 800 metres. So we mentioned Max a few times, setting PBs in the UK and running really well. The first time on the world stage, really, for, for the 18-year-old from Halifax. He came in sixth place. Gemma Rieke won the women's 800 metres at Stockholm. which was a really good performance from her, again, continuing her really good um, performances this year. She ran a 159.68. And in the men's 1,500 metres in Stockholm, again, another stacked field and a, the same uh, one and two. So we saw Timothy Cherriot, Jess Knit, Jacob Inge britsen for first and second place. And I think, Kat, your highlight from the couple of um, Diamond League meets that we've seen in the last couple of weeks was the women's 1,500 metres where we saw a one, two, three for Great Britain in Laura Muir on first, Laura Waitman in second. Melissa Courtney Bryant in third place.
1: Yeah, that's right. That was that was my highlight, watching Laura Muir lead it out from the front. Great to see her in good form. After watching all that Barrowman Track Club stuff, I can't wait to see her and Shelby Houlihan race. The PBs are like, like less than, uh, I think they're half a second difference. Uh, I look forward to one day when they meet.
2: <laughs> Laura Muir, so that's the quickest quickest time in the world this year isn't it she she looked absolutely unbelievable didn't she in that last 400 I mean it's not the first time we've seen a kind of finish like that but to see it on that kind of stage is incredible
0: yeah well that finish Robbie I I heard her a quote from her afterwards and um, she said my coach said to me if I've I've got a kick at the end kick Um, and (laughs) she um, she just pulled away from the field didn't she Interestingly, though, I think really impressively as well, Laura Waitman, who just ran that amazing 5,000 metres in Monaco, coming second in the 1500 um, in 4:01.52, was really just highlighting um, that she's in great form. She's coached by Steve Cram.
2: She, yeah, she, uh, she, her 5,000 metre effort in the first um, at Monaco was probably my highlight over the last over the both races. I yeah. thought um, purely because she kind of went off obviously with the, with, with the leaders and stuck with them for so long in hot conditions and you just kind of felt that she looked like she was maybe hanging on a bit and then she got split up with sort of front two kind of eased away from her a little bit, maybe about 800 to go and she got left with Hassan mm-hmm. um, who then just stepped off the track <laughs> and, and, and just kind of left Waitman to kind of fly solo for the last 800. and. Um, you know the resolve she showed was amazing. She's another one that, you know, her running style, a bit like Muir, is just is just absolutely supreme, really, isn't it? I think it's uh, it's such an exciting time for for women's running in particular, really, as well as uh, as well as kind of UK running in general.
0: I think a couple of highlights for me, one, and I know it's a highlight for you guys as well, was to see Jake Whiteman and men's 1500 meters. The 1500 meters at the moment, just producing really good fields and really good races. Um, that, that race was fairly crazy and that chariot, as I said, sort of took out the first lap in, in a, a crazy pace um, and still managed to hang on to win. Um, so it was, again, as the 1500 often is, it was a really good spectacle to watch. And for Jake Whiteman to go second on the all time 1500 metre list, um, just behind Mo Farah and ahead of Steve Cram was good, uh, really good to watch. Um, is it...
2: Um... Are, are, are we are, are we approaching the golden age of British track racing? It's quite hard to gauge, isn't its is its is it? I'm not quite sure sometimes whether just because naturally, maybe because of recording this podcast, you've got a bit more focus on it generally, yeah. or um, you've seen it before and then it kind of gets swallowed up on the world stage a little bit, so when you kind of get to the world championships in the Olympics or whatever, and
1: yeah. actually the,
2: the performances don't sit as strong. What do you both yeah. think about kind of the next couple of years or two or three years?
1: The 1500s, obviously, I was really impressed to see a British one, two, three in the female 1500, but looking into it a little more, you start to, I was looking at the world rankings today and, you know, who's run faster than Laura Muir and things like that. And you suddenly see, like, Hassan and people like that and you think, that's why we don't, you know, i I think she actually, you know, she can compete with them. But it just, when you start to look at the names above her on the list who are still competing now, you think, oh, yeah, that's yeah. why it's, a, you know, in the Olympics, we don't see quite such success. And my but, sister also said, when I told her I was impressed, she said that all the other people probably can't travel. And <laughs> I'm <was laughs> hoping that isn't why we had a British one, two, three. <laughs> there was, I mean, there was <laughs> some people there. and. It was interesting to see Helen O'Beary stepping down to the 1500. And I mean, it just goes to show how good Laura Whitman's performance was to be able to do well in both because Helen O'Beary didn't manage to hang on in the 1500. You could almost yeah. just see that she could not hack that pace drop.
2: Yeah, that was interesting, wasn't it? it was, I don't know whether it was it was maybe the uh, the kind of reaction of her phenomenal kind of time in the first meeting and how much that kind of affected her being able to kind of focus in the second meeting or whether it's like you say it was actually a technical kind of you know change of pace and change of race at, you know yeah. different race different runner basically but- it
0: would be remiss not to talk about um joshua chapter guy a little bit uh, 5,000 meter world record. Um, So now Chapter Guy, who's only 23 years of age, Um, he now holds the world records for the 15k, the 10k, and the 5k on the road, and now the 5,000 meters on the track. As he said, the previous world record was Kenanisa Bekele, and he ran 12.37.35, and now uh, Chapter Guy ran 12.35.36 for a world record. So he had a couple of pacemakers that took him to about Two and a half K, and they took him through and sort of perfectly paced. Um, and then the second half of, of the distance was just, as I said, a sort of metronome like clicking off um, lap after lap after lap. And he, he finished with a couple of 59 second laps, but generally speaking, it was either a 60 or a 61 throughout the whole race. Um, he went through, so he covered the final 3,000 meters in about 732. To put that into perspective, uh, the one, the women's 1,000 metres race that Lua Muir won uh, was won in the same time that he was clicking off the kilometres, so 231 kilometre pace. So really impressive performance. Perhaps the best thing about the whole thing for me was that he stopped his watch on the finish line. Um, yeah.
1: Is it, on,
2: is, is it on strong?
0: <laughs> I think... Uh, there's a couple of fake ones on Strava now, um, which is funny, um, but I think I can just relate to that crossing the line and then stopping your watch, which you don't actually see on the track much.
2: So it, was... it would have been even better if he'd have uh, had some kind of watch malfunction and <laughs> the saw the pain in his face as he kind of realised that I hadn't recorded or, or what have <laughs> you, even though he'd broken the world record.
0: A couple of talking points that we've seen on the, off the back of it, lots of races these days, there's talk about the shoes. Um, so he was wearing the Nike dragonfly spikes, and also the fact that the uh, the pace lights um, on the inside of the rail, which we're starting to see a little bit more often now.
2: I love having that light on the rail. I think that was uh, having that kind of visual representation of what he needs to do to break that world record, especially when he's come out in the days ahead, <laughs> saying that he is going to, you know, he is, he is gunning for that world record, I think makes it, a you know, a kind of spectacular display, really. I mean, on the on the, on the shoes as well. Um, the I mean, it's just it's just you just get so bored of of kind of hearing people moan about it. I mean, it's just you know, fair enough. There's a there's a kind of a plate in there, but the the soles now have to be so thin on the dragonflies that I think it just it just gets a bit wearing, really, saying that people hearing people kind of you know first just dive into the shoes and say, well, that's the reason why. It's almost like he can't. He just can't kind of win really, no matter what he does, and no matter what anybody does in terms of world records.
0: That seems to be the first thing that's mentioned nowadays, which, as you say, is a little bit, a little bit tedious now. But probably something that's just going to keep coming up. I think looking ahead to the Olympics, I know we're a year away if it does go ahead. But he's looking in in pretty good form for a five and ten thousand double, perhaps, or, or
2: focusing on on one or the other. What do you think Mo Farah is thinking watching that? Thinking that he might have to compete with Chapter Guy next year.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be tough for Mo Farah next year. I I think it will be um it be interesting to see um because he'll be I don't know will it be 38,
2: 39? I, I don't think he'll be able to kind of control Chapter Guy in the same way that he's controlled other runners in the past. It's uh it's just going to have to go with him or kind of accept his fate. Really, isn't it? So the one the one thing I'd say about Chapter Guy, I don't know if you've both seen it, but he was kind of. Before this kind of streak of world records, have you both seen the footage from the two thousand and seventeen cross country championships? Yes. When he oh, he had yeah. a yeah, it's all really worth a watch. Kind of on the point of bringing home first place for Uganda for the first time in Uganda, and he was literally on the. I mean, he couldn't have had a bigger margin of victory. He was he was on the victory lap. And the fan, the fans were going kind of absolutely mental along the sides, and he was kind of effortlessly cruising along to the finish and he absolutely lost all energy and all juice and ended up kind of finishing like thirtieth and just kind of staggering over the line I mean you've never quite seen a race or somebody kind of do that from the front and visibly kind of go so to see him as a, this kind of this kind of animal of a runner three years later is, uh, is is good to see, really.
0: Yeah, it really was the definition of sort of blowing up in a race, wasn't it? That, that cross-country race. Was. It really was, yeah. Well, Robbie, you mentioned Mo Farah. So let me just jump in and um, mention another big story of the week. The London Marathon Elite Fielder announced and, and Mo Farah was in there as a pacer, perhaps going to be trying to pace um, some runners to about two hours, 11 minutes. Um, we knew that Kipchoge and Bekele were on the list, and a few others mentioned. But in terms of the UK runners, there's quite a nice group. In the on the men's side of things, uh, we've got Ben Connor, Chris Thompson, Johnny Meller, Adam Hickey, Josh Lunn, which is a debut for him. Jack Gray also a debut. Aaron Scott, Ross Millington, Josh Griffiths, Peter LeGrice, Dan Nash, Ollie Lockie, Paul Martelletti, Nick Earl, and um, one of our Favourites, Robbie, Julian Moose-Spence, who is one of the hosts of the um, Inside
2: Running podcast. Yeah. Um,
0: I'll
2: love my, my Australia single on watching the race.
0: Yeah, so I, I think I had a count, about 40 to 45 men, I believe, announced in the elite field. Um, so that should be something to look forward to. And I think we mentioned a couple of times, we, we were really hoping for a good um, British contingent out there, which I think we're going to see certainly on, on the male side of things. And the females, again, we knew Kosh Guy would had been announced. And as the world record holder, you might suggest that she's the favourite. For the UK runners announced for London Marathon, uh, we've got Steph Twelve, Lily Partridge, Trish Jones, Tracy Barlow, Helen Davis, and Naomi Mitchell. So all of those guys will be taken to the streets on October the 4th. Or taken to uh, Saint James's Park at least on October the fourth, the London Marathon. So quite exciting news actually when that was released.
2: Yeah, I, I mean it's from a from a, it's good to see that the field's been kind of flooded with GB runners and British runners. I think it gives that added, you know, that added kind of interest really level of interest to see how they all get on. Um, I think Paul uh, Paul Martelletti, I know it's someone that you kind of follow closely, Ben, on Strava. I yeah. uh, believe he might be going for the uh, Andrew Davies V40 UK record. Do you think that's the thing?
0: Yeah, well, obviously, Andrew Davies is our interviewee this week who currently holds the, that record. Um, and I just happened to see something on Twitter uh, that Paul Martelletti suggested he may be going for that record um, in London. So it'll be interesting to see if he, he dips below that the And it's nice to have those sort of little stories as well as the you know the major Kipchoge-Bakevi story going on one of the last stories we're going to touch upon Robbie we've mentioned podium 5k quite a lot in the last couple. there was a bit of a I don't know what would you call it a twitter storm
2: this week so I mean just to kind of recap quickly obviously the, we talked a lot about the podium 5k over the last couple of episodes we kind of bigged up before it was going to happen and then celebrated the kind of dynamism of the race afterwards and you know the whole kind of media attention and really kind of gave plaudits to Chris Barnes for running it and getting all the fast people together, um, you know, just to kind of run fast, which is what people want to see, and also kind of getting it out there um, in terms of kind of streaming it and uh, and kind of making it accessible to people. Um, what's happened afterwards is that the UK Athletics have, Effectively pulled the license on Podium 5K, you know, which obviously understandably upset the uh, organizer Chris Barnes. Did get in touch with Chris Barnes just on the off chance of kind of getting a bit of a scoop, really, a bit of an inside track into what it was all about. Um, and he uh, he kind of kindly came back and engaged, and had a nice nice kind of conversation with me about his kind of take on it. You know, either they fall and foul of their own popularity in terms of. Um, people seeing the footage and potentially getting the wrong end of the stick and kind of complaining about lack of social distancing or what or have you, even though real efforts were kind of put in to make sure that it was a safer environment. Or, which is which is kind of a bit of a darker side to it, really, and, and, and Chris Barnes is uh, slightly worried that this is the case, but um, that actually UK Athletics kind of, put the kibosh on it in terms of wanting to put such a successful kind of independent race back in its place really you know with potentially the reason being that you know it's not generating any money there's no kind of big entrance fees it's not kind of you know it's not a t-shirt medal kind of race for 30 pounds whatever it might be it's a a proper racer's race when I asked Chris about um, the actual kind of technicalities of what UK Athletics have spoken to him about, they referred to uh, his style of racing, which was a quote um, which makes you kind of wonder really where they're going with that and what they mean by his style of racing. Um, he's kind of interpreted that as kind of eyeballs out front running racing, feels that he's uh, he's kind of fallen foul really of a, a bit of an agenda on UK Athletics's side from my point of view. Um, I come. Absolutely love the whole kind of watch and love the build up and you know we all it kind of got us all really excited and you know it makes just make I mean from my personal point of view it makes me wonder why UK athletics aren't kind of working with him perhaps and embracing races like this um, you know so little of such a small amount of races and events comes out of Great Britain um, in this kind of style. You know, compared to America and maybe Australia, it makes you wonder why UK Athletics aren't working with, you know, races like this in order to kind of, you know, it, it make us a make us a more kind of palatable place for fast runners to come from all over the world and compete in these races. I think just putting the shoe down and kicking them into touch is just a real kind of backward step, really, from my point of view as a as a kind of as a as a punter, as it were.
0: Yeah, it'd be, it'd be a shame if we don't see any more sort of top end races like that. There has been a bit of backlash again regarding the the British Champs and the TV coverage that that's going to um, receive live. So we we've mentioned a couple of times the British Champs is going to be happening in the first weekend of September, um, and it looks like the TV schedule has been announced, and that pretty much all the distance events are not going to be able to be viewed live on the BBC. Um, I'm sure there would probably be some sort of highlights package. But I don't know if they've, if there's, it's perceived a lack of uh, appetite for the distance events or a lack of audience for it. I, I mean, I think the shorter events, the 100 metres, for example, are, are being shown live.
2: I don't know what you two think of, you know, for example, when you're watching the Diamond League meets as well. It's almost like I don't think that people can kind of sit with 13 minutes of footage or whatever it might be for a 5K, so they have to intersperse it with obviously other events going on but surely with kind of modern technology and kind of modern approaches to media I mean how hard would it be to do like a split screen or split screen even during the race you can watch the front runner plus kind of some of the stuff going on at the back it seems like it hasn't moved on in kind of 40 years of of filming really uh, for the big events I don't know what you two thought when you were watching it
0: yeah, similar. It, it's always frustrating when, uh, for example, the chapter guy race, someone's come out and said, I'm going to try to break a world record. And then halfway through or a couple of laps in, we're we're watching high jumps and long jumps and what happened. Yeah. But yeah, there must be a way this this day and age to, to have a look at a, a split screen option, I would
2: think.
1: I just don't seem to think that anyone will want to watch the, the middle of the race. It's like, that's actually stuff yeah. happening. <laughs> we're not seeing it. <laughs>
2: That's exactly it. It's almost like they just presume that well the middle of the race isn't really part of the race and it's almost like, well, watch the start and watch the end and but actually the middle's the exciting bit really because that's when it kind of develops and people are making their moves but maybe that's not talking for the majority of people, maybe that's just talking for people that like to run around the track over and over again.
0: Robbie, what do, you, do you want to talk about this week's interview? Andrew Davies, who mentioned the V40 UK marathon record holder and, by all accounts, super nice guy. And and uh, he sat down and had a chat with you last week.
2: Andrew Davies, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll do the whole kind of spiel on who he is um, at the start of the interview, uh, you know, in a moment. But, I mean, what a kind of ambassador, really, for elite running, you know, where he's at in the sport and the the fact that he's kind of raced at and is still racing at the very top and in world championships and in Commonwealth games. Um, And I think when we started this kind of podcast and, you know, looked at potential interviewees and people that we could get in touch with, I think what's, you know, one of the, one of the really amazing things for me is kind of how accessible these guys are. Um, I mean, I've had a couple of very small interactions with Andrew at races in the past, which kind of made me think that he was a nice guy and probably would respond well. Um, but we got in touch with him to, to to kind of sit down and talk to us and he couldn't have responded any quicker and with any more gratitude. Um, I mean, hopefully he doesn't think the podcast is bigger than it is. He might be thinking that he's talking to 30,000 people when, when, when obviously it's only 20,000. But obviously, Ben, you got to listen to the chat and we talked about, about his... Um his obviously training, his life in running, kind of uh, running with team new balance, his it uh, what it's like to compete on the on the biggest stage at world championships and in the Commonwealth Games. And just to kind of cement his place as the nicest guy in the world, he took time out of a Swiss training camp to talk to us as well. Following him on Strava before we he was obviously training hard in Switzerland for a race of that weekend so we spoke to him on the thursday and then he went out on the uh on the saturday or the sunday and won a won a won a half uh, half marathon which he won in 68 minutes so so yeah so it's obviously we'll get into it it's uh it's it's a really well hopefully a really good listen and people enjoy just listen to a, a really accessible nice elite runner talking about what he does best
0: yeah absolutely it's really good to listen in, and I hope um, everyone listening also enjoys the chat and uh, some really good insight, as you say, from someone running on the world stage. Okay, guys, thanks very much. Um, that's another episode ticked off. Um, good luck with all the injuries, and um, you're you're running for the next couple of weeks, and uh, we'll chat again soon. See
2: you, Ben. Bye, cats
1: See you soon. Yeah. Bye. See
2: this week on track, we are joined by M40 British marathon record holder, Welsh and GB athlete Andrew Davies. Andrew is a frequent racer across the UK club scene and has fast PBs from 3,000 metres to ultra distances. In 2019, Andrew broke the M40 marathon record in Valencia with an impressive 214.36. And he's no stranger to big events, having raced the Commonwealth Games twice in 2014 and 18, the World Marathon and Half Marathon Championships, as well as in the 50k World Championships in Doha, when he f- finished in 5th position. In addition to the 50 kilometer ultra distance events, Andrew has also competed in the World Masters Mountain Running Championships and Foul Running Races, and enjoys racing across a range of distances and surfaces. Andrew runs for Stockport Harriers AC, Mercy of Foul Runners, and is part of team New Balance. So Andrew has kindly agreed to sit down and us the track to talk all things running, and in particular running on the world stage. Hi, Andrew. How are you? Oh,
3: yeah, I'm very good, thank you. And yourself?
2: Yeah, not too bad, thank you. So um, just let our listeners know that you're, uh, that you're actually training in San Moritz at the moment, in Switzerland. So just to start by making myself and the listeners a bit green with envy, uh, what does an elite holiday, training holiday to Switzerland look like?
3: Um, to be fair, it is fantastic in St. Mariette. um I was fortunate to come out last year and the opportunity to come out again, is, yeah, snap someone's hand to come off here. Um, it's just all the trail running, it's right at my street and yeah, yeah it's like the scenery, it's just every run you go on, it's big mountains, lakes, it's pretty special.
2: I've been uh, I've been following quite a bit of it on Strava this week, watching you out there. So I mean, it's just <laughs> un- unbelievable to be honest. So how long are you over there for?
3: Um, I'm here for four weeks, um, so I'm just finishing off my first week now. So just slowly getting into it.
2: Okay, and how's the uh, how's the acclimatising going to the uh, to the altitude?
3: Yeah, previously when I've been to altitude, it takes four or five days. Even little climbs, I'm, you know, I start breathing real heavy. But this time, I don't know why it's it's. It hasn't happened yet, so yeah, okay. so it's good from the start, yeah. I think.
2: Yeah. And the big question is, after looking at Strava today, did you find any marmots?
3: Yes. Um, to be fair, that wasn't on the run. Um, that was a bit of sightseeing, and I did see about four or five of them on the way down. So do. yeah, I was quite happy with that. Cause I didn't see any last year.
2: <laughs> okay. Uh, aren't they quite secretive animals? Don't they keep themselves to themselves?
3: Yeah, they were out in the open tonight, so yeah, it's been unlike them. But yeah, it was good
2: to see. Okay, we're just going to give our listeners some perspective, really, on the uh, on the standard of runner that you are, Andrew, if that's okay. So I'm going to probably make you cringe a little bit by going through your PBs. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> feel free to correct me. Um, i we're finding when we're talking to runners, maybe not quite of your standard, but just below you, that although everyone's so modest they still know their pbs to the second so um, if i have (laughs) got any of these wrong then just give me a shout um so we start 3000 meters so 8:45.33, 33 which was at the trafford grand prix in 2012
3: yeah um that was the first track race i've done since for many of you, since i was 17 18 so i think that's the only one i've done since so yeah, it's one off really.
2: Okay. I was I was I was gonna say that to you actually. Looking at your power of ten, that is a, a, a rare track race that's showing on there, isn't it? So
3: Yeah, um, I try not to do track.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um and then we've got five K, which is a recent PB, so fourteen twenty-one at Armagh.
3: Yeah, I was I was looking at the rankings, um the British rankings, and bet forty, and about to get under fourteen thirteen at fourteen thirty. So I went to Armagh with that in plan and Fortunately, no, I've come you know, nine seconds under, so I was delighted.
2: Yeah, that's super. Yeah.
3: It's just a crazy race out there. just drags you along. It's, yeah, it's pretty special. Um, yeah, it was good.
2: Well, we'll come on to it in a moment, but that was obviously on the back of your, uh, your, 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 your marathon record as well, wasn't it? So was that just kind of hanging on to the fitness from the marathon training, was it?
3: Yeah, we had a few weeks off, um, as you would after a marathon, then slowly building things back up. Um, yeah, my coach got me to do more five k sessions, and it was just a matter of hanging on, really, because you just at our mind, you just wait for right after a k or two, you can just start to relax and get into the race, but it just doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> just being dragged along at some crazy pace and it's just holding on for dear life, really, and see where it gets you. Did you happen
2: to see any of the podium five k at the weekend?
3: Yeah, it was incredible, wasn't it? <laughs>
2: I imagine it's something similar to the RMR, isn't it, with the first K kind of being so
3: fast? Yeah, yeah, you're just getting dragged along, which is fantastic to see. That I was looking the other day, um, my... Rankings overall to get you a 1421 and equal 49th, I think, in Britain this year. So, okay, yeah, the standards are pretty good,
2: <laughs> pretty pretty well. Yeah, from both sides, that's impressive stuff, isn't it? <laughs> um, so then we move on to your five mile PB, which is 2409 at um, Alcica 5. So, that again, that was this year.
3: I've never seemed to nail the five mile for some reason, um, but it did happen this year. I'd had a good race and.
2: Got it right for
3: once. <laughs>
2: but. The uh, one that's actually not from this year is your 10k, 29.49 at the Abidash in Leeds. Yeah, it,
3: yeah. it was another one of them races where you can finish about 10, you know, 29.50, yeah. whatever, so yeah, and another good race to to get involved with. But I, I don't mind getting beat by the faster guys, but I like a race where, you know, the, the top end, there's lots of them, and, you know, it's good to see that you can finish way down it just puts you <laughs> back on your feet of that really and
2: yeah, I suppose with nice. race, races like Leeds Dash and Tal for 10k it's uh you know it's 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 not so much your position really I suppose it's your time isn't it because you're always going to get
3: yeah that's it people people are going for the times aren't they and you know, positions are good as well you know the top three whatever but Yeah, PB's a PB in it, so...
2: Absolutely. (laughs) Was that the the first time you dipped under 30 minutes?
3: Um, No, I've done it a few times now. Um, I did it once at Trafford, um, but I I was quite pleased with that time, but unfortunately it didn't count because it was uh, slightly short. But I think that day I would have got a big PB, but it's not to be. uh, Oh, no, that's... uh...
2: That's, how, how, how did you find out the news that it was short? Did they tell you afterwards?
3: Or? Yeah, a couple of weeks after it was um, re measured because there was a lot of times that, you know, a lot of people on the day got PBs. So um, I think there was a lot of questions being asked. So, right. <laughs> yeah, okay. it's just one of them. I'm, you know, I'm not disappointed. There's always a chance to get, you know, have another go at it. and yeah. Hopefully one day and soon that I can have another go and try and get that PB. See the
2: problem was you shouldn't have asked questions. Everyone should have just kind of kept their mouth shut and just walked away with the PB. I,
3: I don't. I don't think it was the people from the race. I think it was the outsiders that.
2: Oh right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I see you've actually had a bit of bad luck with short courses, haven't you? Because on the ten mile as well was it at Preston last year? At um, Preston. It measured, yeah. It measured, yeah. It'd
3: it have, it have been another big PB there. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs>
2: good. <laughs> good job you're a relaxed guy, isn't it? I'm not well, sure um, I'd have it like that.
3: The only um, short course that I was happy about was um, the Commonwealth Games qualifying for um, Glasgow. I did the Manchester one. Okay. And it was about, I think it was about 400 metres short. And I made okay. the qualifying time by about 10 seconds. So, yeah, I don't mind go. that
2: one. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder you're so relaxed about all the other races. Yeah. It's just a big one. You've got it on your side. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so the 10-mile so the PB is 49.53, which is from 2016, and that was on the Great South Run. Um, like you say, you would have gone, well, you did do 49.10 at Preston um, this year, but 200 metres short. So potentially, if that had been a full
3: measure, yeah. forward,
2: you'd, have probably, you'd probably still be it, wouldn't you, really? So. Yeah,
3: I think so, yeah, but these things happen. <laughs> then
2: uh, your half marathon which was in the lead up to um, to your V40 record which and the half marathon to Lake Verney and that was 64.46.
3: Yeah that's, that's cool. right so um, I was quite fortunate in that race uh, that I had Johnny Meller from Liverpool Harriers face um, me around for 12 miles so he, he did okay. a perfect job up there so um, the first mile is uphill you know a good old tough uphill but um, I was on for five-minute mile, but the last mile is all downhill, so yeah. it's a good place to catch some time up, so, yeah, I was, I was delighted crossing the line with a BB there.
2: I did actually I did actually do Lake Fernie last year. I can remember seeing you warming up there, so... Oh, um, uh, right, yeah, yeah it's so, pretty...
3: So, yeah, that's busy. my um, training ground for the marathon. I only live about 45 minutes away, which is about 15, 20 miles in Wales, but... <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> it, yeah, wow, well, yeah, that's true. It's just straight through, isn't it? I mean, it's such, such a beautiful race, isn't it? I mean, it's like you said, that first mile. Um, you think it would kind of slow you down more than it does when you see it on Strava, when you see the ink yeah. But before, before you know it, it's kind of all done. And, you know, you, you, like you say, you've just kind of got flat and downhill for the rest of the race. So Yeah, that's it.
3: Yeah.
2: But, well, it? Well, I was actually going to ask if, if, um, if from the outside, it looked like you and Johnny were kind of having a battle one and two. So Johnny was pacing you, was he, in that?
3: Yeah, that was a plan, yeah, and um, he's a very good runner and he can obviously just pull away whenever he wanted to, so it was okay. just a matter of him winning the race and me hanging on for a PB, really, but, yeah, it was good of him to come down and, and pace me for it as well, so. and it was a good workout for him as well.
2: <laughs> so so was the idea of a bit of kind of pacing practice, because I know that you paced you in uh, Valencia as well when you got 2.14.36? Yeah, um,
3: that's two right, yeah. Record. Yeah.
2: Um, and then your 50k record as well. So you did 2:58.25 in 2016, which was at the Doha World Championships. Um, so I don't, I, I, I can't see too many 50k kilometer races in your uh, in your past, but that's, no, your, that's certainly your PB.
3: No, that's the only one really. Um, yeah. yeah, I was fortunate to get selected for that, and. Um, I think I did them proud, the, the British team. But yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, I enjoyed that. It was um, in the heat of Dubai night and uh, Qatar night, sorry. Um, yeah, it was nice and warm. I like it quite pleasant and warm. And yeah, yeah. it was a good race. It was laps, um, 10 laps of 5k. Um, okay. it, was, it was a it was a funny one because it was all in the dark. It was lit up. Um, but the people that hand handing the drinks out didn't know who was coming. Um, which of the next athletes were coming, so they didn't know which drinks to get ready. Right. But how far the leaders were in front, so it was hard to to judge who was in front, how far. So yeah, you're kind of running blind in a way. <laughs> but was it, it was, all...
2: was, was it a uh, was it a late start, midnight start, like the marathon?
3: Um, I don't think it was quite midnight, but it was late. It was dark wow. when we started. Yeah, eight okay. nine o'clock. Um,
2: so if so if I had to say to you, out of all of those PBs, Andrew, which one gives you the most pride, um, which one do you think it would be?
3: Oh, the marathon.
2: Yeah,
3: Yeah, yeah we've been planning it for a year or two because, yeah, it's getting on 40 and we kind of put a few plans in place and saw the British record previously and I had the potential to do it. It's just a matter of <laughs> nailing it. So, yeah, a um, bit of planning and everything come right on the day, really, so yeah it's just nice to and yeah, I'd like to think that my marathon at uh, the distance for me is the marathon, so to get that one right as well was yeah pretty special like there
2: so that's really um, interesting so see so, so you actually targeted it from a couple of years out, um specifically for that for that for Valencia at that time
3: um we had it in our minds, not specifically like a couple of like maybe a year before we had things in plan, you know ready for valencia um but yeah. Um, it was a long time in the planning but yeah it was good everything just kind of worked on the day
2: yes brilliant right. um, and you you, you, you're actually there at the previous record weren't you which is Steve Way's record in the 2014 Com Games
3: yeah that's right yeah um, to be fair that was a fantastic run from Steve that day um, as Glasgow it was it was pretty windy course quite hilly um, and he took it out from the start on his own as well so it was a brave run and It was a good record as well you know it's knowing that he had the wind and the hills um, and the rain as well up in glasgow yeah it was uh, was a pretty pretty good time which where in valencia i had you know a pacer perfect you know warm (laughs) (laughs) so i was quite fortunate in terms of that
2: don't do yourself down andrew it's uh you still got the heat in valencia some people would rather run in the uh, the cold and the rain yeah that's true yeah (laughs)
3: yeah
2: um so if, if, if I had to say to you which one would you be looking to kind of improve um, on those PBs, which one do you think it would be?
3: Um, I'm pretty happy with most. Um, it's just that 10K, I think I would like to get a 29, 30 something perhaps, but you know I'm not going to lose sleep over it. If it no. happens, I'll be delighted, but yeah, we'll see.
2: Was that in your mind before lockdown happened? Because obviously you were in such good form earlier in the year um hence the pbs kind of tumbling after your marathon and then all of a sudden obviously races get cancelled and your options get limited so
3: um, um was
2: that was that something you had in mind
3: no not really no um this year 2020 it was more after the 5k and uh, i was going to do one or two other races i was going to do cross country that remembered how hard it was so <laughs> we, we knocked that on the head to do a few more road races but the rest of it from um the latter part of the year i was going to do mountain running anyway get back okay. to the mountain so yeah we're going to leave the roads for a bit and um return to them next year again
2: yeah okay i'll come back to you running on the world stage in a few minutes if that's okay with your andrew but just to kind of get a bit of a flavor behind your kind of running background and what got you into running it's, it's obviously i think it's quite a well-known story that you were a paid footballer before taking it running yeah um <laughs> So, was that for your hometown club? Was it Newtown or was that for somebody else? No,
3: no, 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 no. <laughs> Newtown there. <laughs> um, I played for a little village it was outside Newtown, about six miles away, um, okay. called Kersus. So, Newtown okay. were our big rivals. Um, okay. Yeah, you know, don't play for Newtown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was there for about 10 years in all in the, the League of Wales back then. I um, had some good times, played football in Europe one game out in Bulgaria. So, yeah, it was good. We um, won the League Cup three times and, yeah, had some good days with them.
2: So a prop- proper proper footballing career? Wow, well,
3: <laughs> it wasn't too bad, yeah.
2: If you've played in Europe, then that's a proper footballing career to me. <laughs> so. um, on a much smaller scale, myself and Ben both came from kind of footballing backgrounds, so we, we were quite interested to... Here, ah, kind of right. how, how you kind of transitioned into running, really. So when did you stop playing football?
3: Well, um, if we go further back, I would, um, back in primary school, I was quite a good runner there. Um, back then I was, you know, in the top three in you know, the local areas and everything. Um, then started doing a bit of fell running, got into the Welsh team um, for the mountain running, um, gotcha. on a lot of track, cross country. So even before I played football, I was you know, running at a pretty decent standard. Um, And then, I suppose when I was getting to 18, 19, um, I went to university and football was my number one. I I realised that my brother was a good runner as well. He was running 80 miles a week. I said, no, this isn't for me. This is. (laughs) 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 But then um, I went travelling in 2006 and did my first marathon uh, out in New Zealand um, and loved it. Um, So I tried to do a marathon a year. Um, just slowly get my times down Um, and after a while with the football we were going down in the leagues Um, it wasn't looking good so I thought right so I need to get myself a coach and do these marathons properly now (laughs) I would play I'd probably do um, a marathon um, in the autumn and then play football for three or four months during winter and then start again marathon training in February so I was only doing like half seasons But after a while, it's like, now, I'll do these properly now and try and get my times down.
2: Because she was still, I mean, again, just kind of going from power of 10 and and doing the deductions on the time. She was still getting, you know, pretty competitive times while you were playing football. Um, And from my experience, again, of kind of running and... Playing football—it's not a great combination, really, is it? In terms of the stress on the body. So, um, how, did you, how did you kind of—how did you kind of manage it? Did you just train for the running and then kind of train for the football, or were you combining the two?
3: Um, would have training once a week in the week, and then I'd be just putting the miles in. Uh, otherwise, um, a track session with my brother-in-law. He's a pretty good runner himself. Um, and then game on the Saturday, long run Sunday. So I was trying to fit about. I don't know, 70 miles in, plus football training on top. So I was quite committed, to be fair, back then, even though I wasn't a serious, serious athlete. I was still putting the miles in and getting things done. I remember I played football once down in Port Talbot. Um, I had a dead leg. and He hit me in the leg twice in the same place. And I had London Marathon in 10 weeks' time. I thought, I'll be all right. It's only a dead leg. It'll only last three or four days. But um, it lasted... Nine weeks, nine and a half weeks. Okay. But I managed to do London. Um yeah, and hobbled around. Well, I did okay actually. I I did a two hundred forty one, but um yeah. Two
2: forty one with
3: a dead leg. Um, no the leg was better by then, by, <laughs> by a few <laughs> days, but just so the, No, no, no training, much in between. It was I went off, but within a few hundred meters I was limping. It's like this is <laughs> the, yeah, that's, quite fortunate to get around really
2: I wonder to that <laughs> I, I think for all the impressive uh, things we we've talked about already and we're going to talk about I think the thought of you doing a long run on a Sunday after playing on a Saturday is probably the most impressive because I can remember <laughs> trying to hobble out for a few miles after playing on Saturday particularly to the end of my um, well I'm not sure <laughs> career is the right word for it and the aches and pains are kind of very real so um, so you ran for uh, Mouldering, Harri- Mouldering Runners in New Newtown, so that was obviously your local club, and then um, started racing for Team New Balance in Stockport. Um,
3: yeah, yeah, there's a bit of a difference with um, Team New Balance in Manchester. Um, I suppose I come under the umbrella because of my coach. Um, I run for Stockport. My brother-in-law um, is from Stockport. Um, he's moved down to Wales, but also my coaches as well. Um,
2: Bridges, thought,
3: Bridges, Dave Vernon. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and they had a, a good team up there, to be fair. And I knew all the lads, and it's, it just seemed uh, an obvious choice to go up to Stockport and hopefully win a few few things with them as well. And fortunately, yeah, when it was now, yeah, um, probably 18 months ago, we won the sixth stage. Okay. Um So that was a nice icing on the cake, really, to win a national champs.
2: Yeah. I was gonna I was gonna ask you about that actually. That's that I mean that stands out as kind of one of the the kind of peak things for a club runner really, doesn't it, to go to uh, Sutton Park in Windley, either the sixth yeah. stage or the twelve stage. So do it you wanna tell us a little bit about that?
3: Yeah, it was um it was pretty close on the day. Like on paper we've got a good team, like when you have got people like Ross Millington to pick up the last leg, you know, they can do a job and everything. Yeah. And even the other lads are all subbed. You know 30 minute runners and yeah we knew we had a good chance but again it's just one of them you got to go out there and do it and yeah I forget how far our leg was it doesn't seem far but at the time I think I went off too hard and and there's a there's a long hill in it about halfway in there and so yeah yeah I, I was suffering a bed trying to hold on all the way coming back in and so
2: it's yeah. so... The, the hill is the key to everything isn't it they say because if you make it to the top of the hill and you feel in good shape then you're going to have a good run but yeah if you get to the top <laughs> of the hill is hanging on then
3: <laughs> yeah it was a long second half anyway
2: <laughs> have you done the uh have you done the the 12 stage there the long leg
3: no no I haven't been there no
2: yeah so yeah i think i think you'd enjoy that the long leg is you know when you turn around on the sixth stage and you yeah. kind of come back down the hill yeah um the long leg you just kind of carry out into kind of oblivion really so um. <laughs> just just on a long straight road and you know the, 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 you have to have the mental capacity just to kind of keep going that alone running fast yeah. so um so yeah so 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 you've obviously got a great relationship with Stephen, and um so he's the kind of link between everything really isn't he first he's got he's got links to stockport as well i see yeah
3: that's it yeah so um as it works out, I suppose a small world and all that. But um, he was best man for my brother-in-law, so my sister's husband. He was best man for him. So we've known each other for a long time, probably 20 plus years now. Um, yeah, it's only when probably seven or eight years ago when I asked, "Steve, will you coach me?" Um, yeah, and so the rest is history, really.
2: And did you notice those? <laughs> did you notice the improvement straight away working with him, or was it a kind of a bit of a slow burner?
3: No, straight away, yeah, he's, he knows his stuff and how to get the best of me and, yeah, it's pretty instant with the, with the results and everything. Yeah. yeah, just stop playing football.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> the uh, easiest coaching he's ever done, isn't he? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Stop playing football and run a bit more, so. yeah um so do you do, do you still get to stop for the sessions because i know that a lot of your sessions seem to be um solo really when you look on strava
1: yeah um no i don't go
3: up there no um, i'm based in um new in mid wales um so i do all my runs around there on my own with my dog
2: yeah um,
3: yeah it's a pretty nice part of the world on the canal path and river it's yeah it's pretty nice hidden out the way and <laughs> and,
2: and where where do mercy of fowl running fit into this so do you So do you run for them on the mountains and Stockport on the roads?
1: Yeah,
3: yeah, that's right. Yeah, so many um, mountain events, I'll run for Mercia. Um, I've been a member of them since about 1993 or 4, so they're they're a good club. It's good to go on the mountains and and run for them every now and again when I get the chance.
2: So so, so, So maybe touch on that a little bit in terms of your... I mean, you've got such incredible versatility, really, across the... The mountains and the roads and to the untrained eye it seems like you switch quite freely between the two in terms of racing so can you tell us a little bit about your relationship with the mountains and how you kind of view it in terms of training and racing and where it fits into the road racing
3: yeah um so I, i've come from a fell background um i love the mountains and everything and i'm quite fortunate that steve has cut steven and has come from the mountain background as well so he understands there's a screw loose there somewhere to 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 run up a mountain yeah so obviously doing the marathon every year is a lot of strain on the body and you know it takes a lot of time to recover so if I'm building up for you know a big championship big marathon um and if there's nothing coming up after it I'll revert back to the mountains Uh, my coach thinks it's good for the strength element as well so Yeah, he's all for it. So I I will alternate uh, between a marathon year and then a fell year or a fell six months, whatever mountains, and just switch back and forward, really. Um, It's one of them things that, I I don't know, it seems a bit strange, uh, loving running uphill. I don't know if that's normal or... (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking, like, if there was a path, you're running on a lovely path and there's a little side mountain path to the side, I'll always turn the side mountain path i don't know why or <laughs> it's
2: just one of them i think that's that must be where i'm going wrong then because i'll always kind of turn the other way and try and <laughs> uh, kind of head towards the valley so um so when you're in your training blocks and you're running in the mountains you, you, what's your approach are you are you still kind of doing sessions are you doing sessions on the hills tempo runs or is it just a case of just kind of get out there and enjoy it
3: um it'll be um, a bit of everything. He's- Steve's a big believer of speed as well, even when I'm doing the mountains, I'll still be doing um, sessions on the track and or on the canal path anyway, mixing it in with hill sessions as well. So I will, a few weeks ago, I was up in the mountains at Avon Vowdy in mid Wales, um, where I'll do like a good, you know, half an hour climb, um, come back down, go up another climb. So like two and a half hours in the mountains or whatever. So yeah, I'll Mix it between both, really.
2: Do, do you kind of hold that accountable for because you've been pretty consistent, really, with being injury free over the last few years?
3: Extremely fortunate in terms of that. Um, I don't know why or how, touch wood and touch all literature. that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've, um, I've been pretty consistent, and that's what Steve likes. Um, you know, consistency gets results and everything. So, yeah, I don't know why or how. <laughs> it's just yeah, look, wow. I suppose that everything's gone to plan. I see a lot of other athletes have had, even with Steve, have had big injuries and, you know, it'll take them a year to come back from. And so I've been fortunate that I've been able to you know, keep going year in, year out. And, yeah.
2: yeah. Did you kind of stay pretty injury-free as a footballer? or?
3: Um, I was pretty injury-free. I did have um, a bad groin for a couple of years, which isn't great for football. Uh, but yeah. I kept playing on it stupidly. Um, and it always seemed to come better by the next game. It'll take two or three days to so if we're playing two games a week. It'd be bad on the Wednesday night when we played and just get better for Saturday and yeah. the same week after week, seems to me. But yeah, once that's gone, I, that's about the only big major issue I've had, really.
2: That wasn't the old sportsman's scoring injury, was it?
3: Um, possibly, yeah, it went on its yeah. own eventually, but yeah, I didn't have any treatment or surgery for that, no. so I assume so.
2: <laughs> anyway, I'll stop talking about injuries because I'm going to end up jinxing it. I if you if you post on the chat within a couple of days <laughs> that you've uh, that you've got some kind of injury, then it'll be it'll be my responsibility. So to <laughs> so moving swiftly on, you, so you do a lot of your sessions solo. Are you? I mean, is that something that you kind of like doing, or is that would you rather run as a group? Is it a personal choice?
3: I've got no choice where I live, really. Um, just well, when I'm, I'm working at college as well. If I finish four four thirty, I've got the dog at home. It's just nice to go out straight away. I don't want to wait for anyone else to run with the dog, or um, so it's just convenient with the, the dog running and getting up in the morning before work. It just seems to work. That it's just easier to sort it out myself and <laughs> go out on my own and yeah. travel <laughs> sessions and all that. So.
2: Andrew, you must have the fittest dog in Wales, I thought.
3: Um, well during lockdown she has been on a bit of weight, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, she's Put me she hasn't been on many runs. Um, and it's been too hot for her as well, so yeah. She's only a little Jack Russell and she, she doesn't is. really like running but
2: <laughs> <laughs> she's got no option living with you. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> she picked the wrong owner there, has yeah. like so. Um <laughs> How have you found the lockdown period? If you, uh, I mean, obviously it's had such a different effect on people. Some people have kind of got fitter. Some people have, you know, kind of jumped at the chance to spend time on their own. Um, how have you found it?
3: Um, I've been pretty fortunate, really. Um, my mum and dad live on a farm, so I went back to the farm. And it's been pretty normal um, for me for the last few months. So, um, like I said, I've been teaching in the college. So we've done a lot of that online. Um, towards the end of the last year, academic year. So, okay. yeah, it's been pretty normal, really. And dad's got a few fields like this. So, yeah, it's, it is pretty nice where mum and dad live as well. It's it's right on the offers dyke, in the heart of Mid Wales. So, yeah, it's nice. It's nice.
2: How did you? Uh, I mean, I know we briefly touched on it at the start, but how did you kind of mentally adjust to the idea that you wouldn't be racing for a few months?
3: I've been all right, actually. Uh, we've kind of got a plan for the end of the year, so it's just a matter of ticking off the weeks, ticking off the months. Now, these races are coming up at the end of the year, so I've been fine uh, just just normal weeks for me and just keep ticking them off.
2: And can can you reveal the plan for the end of the year?
3: Yeah, um, so I've been quite lucky that out in Switzerland there's a race here next weekend. Um, Sorry, this weekend. <laughs> okay. um, so that's a 21k trail run. That'll be quite nice through the mountain. Um, yeah. And then um, at the end of September, I've got a trial race for the World Long Distance Mountain Running Championships. Um, and that's in Scotland, um, a 38-kilometer race. Um, so that should be good. And if I get in the top, I'll well, top two automatically, but I think there's a team of four or five um, that we'll be going out to Lanzarote in November. So that's the the overall plan. Okay. Um, go there. And I've also, hopefully, if Amsterdam Marathon's still on, I'm going to pace um, a Dutch girl uh, around that as well. So that would be good.
2: Okay. So to, 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 to what, What's the target time for that? Um, 2.30-ish, I
3: think. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, okay. yeah, so... I've, so since my first marathon in 2006, I've done a marathon every year. Um, so I'm hoping that Amsterdam is still on. I still want to <laughs> keep that record going, really. So it will be my yeah. 15th year in a row.
2: So, we'll, so if it's okay with you, we'll just have a, have a, have a quick chat about some of those um, kind of notable performances on the world stage. Um, yeah. I, said to you, I said to you kind of before we stopped recording that I might go a little bit fanboyish on this part because... I've never really spoken to anyone that's competed at such a high standard up the world stage. Okay. Um, it's obviously, quite interested in your experience of running for Wales and GB. Yeah. Um, I suppose starting off with the Commonwealth Games in two thousand and fourteen. Maybe talk. Maybe talk us through your experience, starting from the selection process, kind of going through from there.
3: Yeah. So um. So back in two thousand and thirteen, we could have qualified. Um. Obviously, for the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow. Um, so I've always had this 218 plan, um, yeah. So we decided to do Manchester Marathon. Um, unfortunately, I've got the time, so it's just a matter of then of who they're going to pick. Even though you've got the qualifying time, it's you still got to wait until they announce the team and everything. So it's still a few months of you know nail biting. Yeah. Is anyone else going to get the times if there's only three places available? So it's a long wait. Um, I think it was in December they announced the team, or January. So it was a good seven or eight months, you know, in the unknown, really.
2: So uh, just to get to the point where you're almost checking the race results every weekend to see if anybody. Not
3: far off, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I was—I knew back then I was pretty confident um, with the runners I know in Wales that I—I I should be all right. But you never know until it's written down on a piece of paper to yes. see where you're going. So
2: yeah that, how did they break the news is it is it by kind of phone call or did you get a letter through the post
3: um bit of both is a phone call and a letter through the post yeah um, just for confirmation so it's just a matter of then the next six seven months of trying to stay injury free you know one of the biggest races of your life and yeah you know and how big a stage it is and you want to compete and everything and
2: so, so, so yeah, so, so tell us a little bit about the kind of build-up to the race and, um, you know, I suppose staying in the Athletes' Village, um, I suppose you would have done in Glasgow, and that kind of build-up to the the big day, like you say, trying to stay injury-free and uh, and kind of fit and firing.
3: Yeah, it's um. it was one of them with the Commonwealth Games, even though, like, my coach, I know he's been to a lot of major championships and everything, he didn't really want me to go there too early, even though it's my first experience to... You know, the chance of picking up an illness um, within the camp and everything like that. So try and keep your back away from everything. But I'm, I am was fortunate to go to the opening ceremony and um, a few of the other things. But just trying to keep, you know, healthy and fit before the big day. And I remember the week before, it was roasting up in Glasgow as well. So it was like, oh God, what's the weather going to be like in Glasgow on, the day, on, on race day? But it was back to normal. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Wet and windy and rainy. Yeah,
3: yeah.
2: How, how, how are the nerves kind of stepping into the race? I, I mean, I don't get the impression you're—you uh, always seem quite a calm, a calm, calm chap really. But it's with uh, the nerves, with the nerves prevalent on race day.
3: No, no, no. I'm pretty, uh, yeah, like you say, pretty relaxed on the race day. You can't do much, can you? Well, there's there's not much you can do by then. It's just a matter of running. So, yeah, it's just a matter of getting to the into the pace and see what happens from there but no it was, it was fine that was
2: and how did the experience um kind of compare to going to the other side of the world four years later to australia
3: yeah it was, it was the same kind of scenario again in terms of i suppose at, the, at glasgow i was allowed to go a little bit earlier into the village but with um the gold coast my coach was like right you've been to a commonwealth games you, you don't have to go into the village early. So I stayed as long as possible away from the the, the village um, and all that. And it was quite nice that, because I have seen it before, there it, it wasn't that, there is a buzz and excitement. But, um, yeah, I didn't get overawed like Glasgow. It was amazing to see the the food hall, the village and everything like that. But with Australia, because I've seen it before, it's like, oh, it's, it's okay. It's a, I don't have to go and see it again, so... It's still mightily impressive, everything that's there. You know, you see people from all these countries and it's just a good vibe around the place and a buzz and, yeah, it's good and, like, famous Welsh people everywhere and
2: yeah, it it's good. i mean, got a big question, really. But do you feel like you kind of belong there or do you feel that it's, uh, you're still kind of on the outside looking in? Um,
3: it's quite a weird one because um, I went travelling, like I said before, in 2006 and I went to the Commonwealth Games in Melbourne and I remember looking in from like a, a spectator's point of view, I'm just thinking, wow, look at all these athletes and it's just amazing. And then it's like obvious, like, years, whatever is whatever, I, I'm in there and it's, it's yeah. just weird that, what am I doing here? <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, no, it's nice to be part of, it's, it is good.
2: And have you got, uh, I, I presume you must have half an eye on um, Birmingham 2022? Well, depending on what happens. <laughs>
3: Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, it would be, it be like, obviously I'm 40 years old now and knowing that I can't go again for another four years. So this will be my last opportunity. And, yeah. and that's the plan for next year, to go for um, a marathon wherever, but maybe two to try and get the qualifying time for, um, yeah, for the next Commonwealth Games in Birmingham. So that's the plan. But um, at the moment, the standard of marathon running in Wales is, just incredible so yeah i'm just hoping for a bit of luck if i can get the time and
2: yeah stay stay injury free i suppose it's yeah as well isn't it so yeah the, in i mean what one other kind of uh, question i really wanted to talk to you about in terms of because you're so used to winning races and being at the front of races um when you go into the environment of kind of commonwealth games and world championships and you're running in such small fields how does the pressure kind of differ do you you notice it or do you just kind of get on with it
3: no I I just get on with it I'm an experienced runner now I know I'd like to think I know how to pace races and like not going off too stupid and I know where I kind of fit within the race do you know what I mean that where I should be with you know next to who and everything so I kind of pick my my spot where I should be and Usually work my way through the pack. Um, that's what I like to do. Just, yeah. Every time I have started off too quick, I've, I've suffered for it. So, I kind of go the other way, start a little bit slower, and know that I can yeah, get back into it.
2: <laughs> The most well-trodden advice in racing, isn't it? But it's the hardest thing to get right, really. So, yeah. But, uh... Uh,
3: yeah I've seen people though who have gone for it, and it's paid off for them as well. So.
2: You know, it's one of the <laughs> Yeah. I, mean, I know I mean we kind of spoke about it earlier as well, but what's your uh obviously your you've got amazing longevity and staying injury free um is obviously a big part of that. Is uh any kind of advice that you give to anybody listening to who might be wanting to kind of blossom in their kind of uh V years in running? <laughs>
3: Um, I don't know. It's hard to say, really. Um, I'd like to think a lot of my slow runs are pretty slow as well. Um, I'm not that fussed on pace. If it's an eight-minute mile, first mile, then I don't really care. It's just a matter of going out there and, and, you know, getting the miles in, really. It doesn't matter what pace. So I usually think that my easy runs are easy and then the sessions are pretty tough. So, yeah, that's my advice, really, to... (laughs) just listen to the body if it's if it's aching just go slower and if if you're not ready for a session just delay it by a day or two there's no just because it's you want to do the session on the Wednesday you don't have to do it if your body's telling you not to yeah
2: watch what's your motivation Andrew to keep going and improving I presume that you want to it sounds like you still kind of got the uh got the enthusiasm to Kind of keep pushing it for a few years yet. So, what what do you think is your main motivation?
3: Yeah, um, I think I suppose the Commonwealth Games is the next one, the next big motivation goal. Um, but after that, it's uh, the mountains, the ultras. Um, and I'd I'd like to still be, you know, try and get in the British team if possible in those maybe fifty k's, maybe hundreds. We'll see how <laughs> that goes. But for now, I, I don't think I'd like to go over fifty mile that range but no. you never know do
2: you <laughs> have you ever been to, to race the ultras in America North America
3: yeah there's a um, there's a few I've kind of got an eye on and would like to do in the future it's, it's just not kind of right timing at the moment with the Commonwealth just around the corner so I've just got to be patient and take the months off the years off and hopefully I'll get the chance to go and run you know the the states and yeah, you know, the big races out there, maybe on the continent as well, UTMB, things like that. It's, yeah, it's just exciting. It's just, I can't wait, but I've got to wait.
2: <laughs> is it? Is that how you see your kind of future of the next few years? Do, do, maximize the road and then hit. the Yeah, rails? I
3: think so. Yeah, is um, yeah, in terms of motivation as well. I, I know that I'm not going to get PBs in two or three years' time, so I've got to be a bit of a realist there i am going to put them behind me and, and yeah, and start doing the thing. I do enjoy the mountains and the trails, so yeah, that will keep my motivation high. I think.
2: We were, we were talking recently about um, kind of what would you choose, uh, kind of maximising your PBs at a younger age or still running at seventy. Which one do you think you choose?
3: Oh, if you said a lower number. I'd have probably gone for the lower number, but um, I'd still, <laughs> I'd still like to be running, you know, 55, 60, definitely yeah. still doing mountain running then. So um, we, so, we, so we, would
2: you swap a 29, 29, 10K to finish at 50?
3: Oh, no, I'd be going to 60 now, within, yeah. just for the sake of 20 seconds now, I'll be. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, okay, great. I, we always finish with, uh, with with what we call some uh, a bit lighter hearted quick-fire questions, if that's okay, Andrew. Yeah, and no only, worries. Only three or four. So first question is, um, if you could go for a run with any athlete, dead or alive, who would it be?
3: Oh, wow. Um, that is a good question, isn't it? I don't know. I suppose Haile Selassie was my idol when I was younger. Um, just seeing the things that he used to do was just awe-inspiring. So, yeah, Gavriselassi.
2: If you could only race one race a year, um, each year, which one would you choose? And that's a race rather than a distance.
3: Um, probably the UTMB. Okay. If I could get around it, but just watching some of the videos, you can watch it live on race day and everything. Just the scenery, the routes.
2: Yeah, UTMB. Okay. Go head to head with Killian out there.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, I mean, this fits in nicely. So if you race next week, will you be wearing split shorts or half tights? Split shorts. Split shorts.
3: Yeah, it's too warm for (laughs) us.
2: I think that uh, every interview we've done so far has been split shorts. So we're we're in danger of asking the most pointless question in the uh, (laughs) history of pointless questions, really. So we've we've yet to find a runner that will admit to half tights over split shorts. So, um, And then finally, last question,
3: Swiss Alps or Snowdonia? Swiss Alps. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> to be fair, I don't know Snowdonia that well. I've been up there a few times, done snow, done a few other mountains. So I don't know them inside out. And yeah. This is pretty incredible idea. So.
2: <laughs> and all of, and, if And
3: to do with the prices, it'd be Snowdonia. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, I'm not sure, to be honest. Sometimes, sometimes when I've gone to Snowdonia with the family, I've spent more money than when I've gone abroad. <laughs> so... <laughs> Okay, so I know that you're on uh, social media, so people can find you on Twitter. Um, so you're uh, foul running Gandhi on Twitter. Yeah, but I'm glad you've got him because I can't remember. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what's the uh, what's what what's the foul running Gandhi all about, Andrew? Oh, just the foul running. but... Uh... What, what's the Gand what's the Gandhi about? I don't
3: know foul running. Oh, foul running Gandhi. Gandhi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, I'll get Ben
2: to edit that bit, I think so I'll just reread it. <laughs> I thought you were gonna I thought you were gonna give us a great kind of nugget about how you're a uh, kind of piece looking running, you know. So. Me. <laughs> um, okay, on that bombshell anyway, so um Andrew, we really appreciate you giving up your time to speak to us on track, especially no when you're holiday. So thank um, you. Pleasure listening to it, you give such an insight. Enjoy the rest of your time in Switzerland. Good luck in your race next week and uh, over the coming months.
3: No, thanks very much. It was very good. Thank you. Thanks, Andrew. (laughs) Cheers.